This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. No other country is experiencing similar shortages as Canada is. That forces our parents to drive south of the border and buy the medications in the United States where they are abundant and in supply and bring them back here. Many people are actually hawking them with a profit back in this country. Just a few hours ago, we announced an important importation of a few months additional supply of energizers for children, which will make a big difference in the ability of children to be cared in Canada. Well, that was on question period yesterday. The conservative leader asking the question and an answer there from the health minister, which doesn't really answer the question of why we're facing this shortage. But yes, Health Canada did uh, announce yesterday that uh, they've secured more supply, additional supply, and that will be uh, arriving and ending up on pharmacy, pharmacy shelves in the weeks ahead. Initial shipment did go directly to hospitals. So at least this is now being addressed. But there is still that lingering question. I mean, why did this get so bad? Health Canada also noting yesterday, by the way, uh, that it was aware that some of these medications, children's Advil, children's Tylenol, were on sale online, Amazon and elsewhere, at inflated prices, which is maybe a predictable consequence uh, of a situation like this. And joining us to talk a bit about uh, this whole situation, how this situation arose, how it's being addressed. Uh, Very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here this morning, uh, Dr. Mina uh, Tadros, Assistant Professor of the University of Toronto's Leslie Dan uh, Faculty of Pharmacy. Uh, Professor Tadros, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So what's your understanding of what Health Canada's announcement yesterday signifies? How close to the end of this shortage do we appear to be? Yeah, unfortunately, with with many times with shortages, it's hard to know where in the kind of life of it you are. I think it does signal that there are some challenges that they're trying to fill um, using sort of the the last line of defense, which is bringing in medications from other countries um, to try to fill this in. So it has it is a it is a sort of a, a policy lever that's been used in the past. Uh, but rarely. So we've only seen it be used maybe once or twice, and that was sort of at the beginning of the pandemic when when they knew that these problems could get worse. Yeah, there's all kinds of red tape, I understand, in importing anything into Canada, but when it comes to drugs or medication, there's there's even more there. I I do understand part of it is quality control, but it seems like also packaging issues, bilingual labeling requirements have been an issue. What's your understanding of some of those obstacles? Yeah, I think... think People that have highlighted that in the media have highlighted of why the, it's a necessary step for entering the Canadian market, typically of all products. But every country demands that their packaging be unique. Um, you know, in the U.S., they have certain labeling requirements of why their boxes look a certain way, even font size. Like, we see that across many different countries. So this isn't sort of unique. We do have the bilingual problem that many countries may not face um, in the fact of, like, how the boxes are labeled. Um, but it's not it's not a unique scenario in that sense. I think the bigger challenge for Health Canada is always that you don't want to bring in a product that one might be produced in a country that has uh, sort of suboptimal regulatory oversight. So like Health Canada is really good at what they do. So you want another country that does that, perhaps a European country that falls under the EMA or the U.S. with the FDA, like that they're really on top of it. You also don't want to bring a product in that's too different. 
Because if it's very different, as say the dosing or the concentration's off, now you've introduced a product that people might not be used to, and you have the chance that people start misdosing. And with pediatrics, like you really got to be careful about the dose, um, because giving a, a child too much, it's always weight-based. And if you give a little bit too much, you can harm the patients in different ways. I mean, at the same time, I mean, the government has made it clear to Canadians that, and and for a long time, that obviously it, there, there's there's no issue with bringing back uh, over-the-counter medications from the U.S. into Canada for personal use. You know, if you go on a trip and you got to buy, you know, a bottle of Advil because you had a headache on your trip, there's no problem bringing that back. And so parents are going across the border uh, if if that's an option for them, you know, border communities to to purchase children's Advil, children's Tylenol, and they're bringing it back. So are there some mixed messages here? And the government's saying, yeah, sure, that's no problem. And, well, hang on a second here. We can't, you know, hastily import from other countries all these packaging and, and quality issues. Yeah, I think I think there's part of it where they're comfortable with where they know most people are going to go get these products, which is the United States. Uh, and the similarities between the two, you know, we know that the regulators between Health Canada and FDA work together often on, on a lot of different projects. And so I think there's sort of a, 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 a trustworthiness there. But I think there's also the idea of like a patient going themselves and picking up the drug. Like, I think that's a personal decision versus when you choose as a policy to ship in large amounts of drugs, uh, this can have a more population level impact. So I do agree. But I think that this is where the hesitation really lies and which countries you're able to do this from. Um, and if you've seen, they've kind of gone to countries that have very similar uh, regulatory structures and often have very similar products. Okay, so let's take a step back and, and look at what's been going on here because, you know, the situation with the U.S. sort of highlights that they have available supply and we don't, even though both countries are sort of struggling with the same kind of demand issues caused by with COVID, influenza, RSV, even even the common cold. So what what is unique about the situation in Canada right now then? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, this is sort of one of those things that people who study these drug shortages scratch their heads about and something that we've been constantly doing. Like we do a lot of comparisons between the U.S. and Canada and it works the other way around. And there's scenarios where the U.S. has shortages of drugs that we don't. And it's very challenging to know uh, why that is. And so over time, what we figured out is that it, you know, in some cases, it's because, like, there's certain products that have not entered the market and there's market dynamics. So in Canada, for example, with these products, specifically this, these suspensions and solutions that are used for acetaminophen and Advil, uh, like ibuprofen, we just have less options. There's, there's only, like, for some formulations, there might be only one or two companies that have entered the market. And so we have a really tight marketplace. And what often happens with shortages is once one product has any disruption in its supply chain, people move to the next product, and we sort of see a domino effect. And so if you only have two dominoes, that falls down very, very quickly. And that's what we saw here. We basically only had two or three products. It started dominoing from acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, and moving into Advil, ibuprofen. And so both products got knocked out, and we just didn't have many of them. And so I think it highlights like that we, we really need to look at our full drug system and see where we're most vulnerable and every country has different vulnerabilities and so ours was obviously in this place 
Right, and I mean, it wasn't the government's fault that this happened, but I think a lot of people were frustrated at some of the foot dragging here. And initially, you know, there seemed to be almost a, a blame on, on parents, you know, stop hoarding, stop buying more than you need. Like, we, we've kind of been dealing with this for months. We're now finally seeing steps being taken. What, why do you think it took so long to address this? Yeah, I think, I think there's, a, there's a little bit of... Um, so most shortages that get announced don't actually lead to a shortage. So what I mean by that is like a, sh- a company might announce that they have a shortage. They have a factory that's broken down. They have an issue that's happened. It's got hit by a storm, whatever it may be. And then what we often see in the pharmacy is that it'll get announced and then within three months it's resolved and we actually had enough in the system. But what we mean by the system is like, you know, there's, there's a boat shipping a drug from somewhere. It enters into a port. They go to wholesalers. They're sitting in wholesalers. They're sitting on pharmacy shelves. So there's enough kind of like in the backlog that it holds us off. And what we were seeing in the very beginning of this um, was that in many cases, there was still enough from the wholesalers being trickling into the stores that it was challenging for parents to find. So I think what was happening was a hesitation that they were hoping that the manufacturers could ramp up and get this going uh, before they, they went back. I think the mistake that was made was just not realizing the storm that was about to hit us and the amount of viral load um, in the various different directions, whether it was influenza, RSV, COVID itself, like there were so many different parts hitting us. And so I think there was that. And I think there was just sort of a, a hesitancy to use that last straw, which is bringing in the drugs from other places, if we can solve it in different ways, which included compounding. But I think it became very obvious that the, the demand was just so unprecedented that it was hard to kind of continue to, to depend on the, the tr- you know the traditional supply chain. Yeah, I think that that's what we've learned is, you know, that these these other options are very limited, I guess. You know, we certainly seem to have been leaning heavily on pharmacies or at least those that can do compound because, yes, some pharmacists can basically whip up or concoct uh, what is essentially children's Advil or children's Tylenol. But that that's not, you know, on, on a grand scale, a real solution to this kind of a situation, is it? No, it definitely isn't. And I, and I think this is, you know, unfortunately, I know it's very frustrating. And I, and I have two children of my own, and I went around hunting for Tylenol as well one night, unfortunately. And, like, you know, we've all been struggling with this. I think, unfortunately, this is a perfect storm. You know, we had a, a supply disruption begin in the summer, and then we had the domino effect, like I described previously. And then we had, we did have some sort of behavioral work. Like, when you finally do see some, you just grab the bottles anyway. So there is a little bit of that. Uh, you know, we call that like the toilet paper syndrome that was on the very beginning of the pandemic where, you know, you just don't know. So you're like, and as a parent, our kids are getting sick every two weeks. So I need some Tylenol on my shelf. Like, I, I, I think everyone completely understands that. And so all of these things happening at the same time has, has sort of been a perfect storm. And I, I just want to highlight for listeners, like, this drug shortage problem has been happening for a long time. And we've been we've been telling people we need bigger and better solutions. Um and this is not going to be the only drug shortage you're impacted by. This one just really hurts a lot of us. And I think there's other problems that are in the system that we need to start addressing it now. Well, is there a silver lining maybe that this can be a wake-up call uh, on that, or at least this highlights some of the areas we need to address? Absolutely. So I think, you know, when the pandemic hit, luckily, we've been talking about drug shortages for over five years. And so this lever of being able to import drugs, creating a tiered list, improving some of the systems was something that the Health Canada was able to enact in March 2020. Before then, none of these levers actually existed. So if you can imagine if this had happened without the pandemic, they would have had to enact new laws and regulations. And then this would have delayed us even more as we, you know, we, we often see how long regulation takes. And so... The silver lining is that this has become front and center, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that we're going to start to see more and more action 
uh, on ensuring and protecting the direct supply chain. I don't think we'll ever get down to zero. There's things that happen, like storms hitting major manufacturing sites or earth, you know, natural disasters or things that just randomly occur. But the hope is that the number and the extent of the shortages should start to go down. And, but we need some action from the policymakers to allow us to start doing that. All the bit of that, uh, Professor Tadros, thanks again for joining us here today. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. All the best. Uh, Dr. Mina Tadros, Assistant Professor, University of Toronto Faculty of Pharmacy. And so kind of an overview of how we ended up in this situation and how close we are to resolving this. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.